Howdy folks. Today we are going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. In our contextual study of this letter, we've talked about last week where the saints to whom this letter was written were being reminded about how they're the chosen people of God. When we looked at verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter 2, it says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So as God's people, you're special. I love studying the scriptures and seeing teaching patterns. And whether intended or not, and I don't mean to imply or suggest that it is, but this context is just beautiful and that you're special. And as we're going to talk about verses 11 and 12 today of 1 Peter 2, continues, the, the point continues, dearly beloved. So you're special to God. You're special to me. You're beloved to me. Peter is writing. But what we're going to see also is that there comes a responsibility with being God's people and an expectation that you live in a way that is pleasing unto our Lord and not act as though now that I am God's child, I've got, I've got it. I'm a shoe in for heaven. Paul pointed out in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, speaking of himself, he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So Paul points out, look, I'm, I'm trying to attain unto the resurrection. Not as though I already have gotten there. As God's people, being the chosen generation, Gentiles who are saved, who in times past were not among God's people, you still have to fight on. Think about the language that Paul used in writing the evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession, before many witnesses. They are being taught in a way that if they're mindful students of this epistle, they'll come to the conclusion that, hey, we still have to keep living in a, in a manner that is right. We can't act as though we have arrived already. It's like when Paul was writing the saints in Ephesus. And he said in Ephesians 5, 1, be therefore followers of God as dear children. You're God's children. Act like it. Behave like it. And part of being God's children is to be separate 
from the sinfulness that we find in the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 7, 1, it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Separate yourself from worldliness. Live as God's people. And one of the things we're going to talk about in our study today is the aspect of, and we'll continue to, to think along these lines as we go through chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 of this epistle that we are studying here, is that we're to live above reproach as God's people. Live so that your character speaks volumes, even when it comes to those that would possibly slander us, that would speak evil against us. You know, Paul said in Romans 3, 8, not rather as we be slanderously reported and some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. You know, when you're living a faithful, right life, people are going to say things about you that are not true. But your conduct needs to speak volumes. Your conduct needs to say more than false charges can say. And we're going to talk about that as we go out, but, but just go along in this study today. But keep in mind some just this thought. Just this thought, it just kind of get our minds spinning in the right direction. And Titus 2, 7 and 8, Paul tells the evangelist Titus, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. Now, they spoke evil of the prophets, of Jesus, of the apostles, of Christians in the first century, Paul, like we just read in Romans 3, 8, it's not that they're physically unable to speak evil. It is that their words have no merit, that they are false charges. We're going to talk about that as we go through our study today, so I will hold the point until we get to it later on. But get your mind going, okay? Think about it. Focus. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 has a great deal of content. Not just for them to whom, excuse me, it was written in the first century, but for us who are in Christ today, who are God's chosen elect people, who are his holy priesthood, we too need to think about these words. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So let's just break it down. Starting with the fact that they are dear, beloved brothers, sisters, saints in Christ Jesus. That phrase, that endearment, 
We see it from God to Jesus at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, 17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. We see it in other contexts, like in Acts 15 and verse 25, there was a problem in Antioch. The Paul and Barnabas come back and discuss it with the congregation in Jerusalem and the apostles that were there. They write a letter, Acts 15, 25, to Antioch says, It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So it's these are dear brethren unto us. Romans 1 and verse 7, Paul, when he writes the saints in Rome, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So beloved by brethren, beloved by God. In Philippians 4, the first verse, verse 1, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, my long for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You see him say that there two times. Here, here's the point, okay? Peter is getting it across as some of the other passages we just talked about, that they're dear to him. He's going to use this statement six other times in his epistles in First and Second Peter. One more time in First Peter, in First Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And then in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, 2 Peter 3, 8, 2 Peter 3, 14 and 15, and then in verse 17. Notice the different ways he uses it here. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So talking to them, their beloved. Verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Then verse 14 and 15, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that we may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord's salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you there in reference to them as well as the apostle Paul. And then finally there in verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, see that you know things, these things, beware, before, beware, lest you also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. That's, that's just Peter over and over again in different contexts, in different points, in different applications, reminding them that they're loved, that Paul is loved. It's We're brethren. It's a reminder that Christians have a relationship of love among ourselves. It's like Jesus taught back in the beginning of the work as the apostles are with Jesus in the last week of his life, he said to them in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Notice, notice what this means or what, notice why he said this in verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. And when, you, when you're studying certain books of the Bible, like 1 John, uh, right now here in El Paso, we're, we're studying 1 John in our uh, Sunday morning class discussion together. And it is just over and over again in 1 John, brotherly love is, is put forth. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, just over and over again, because it is that important that saints show love one toward another. Peter is leading by example in that. He is telling them 
you're dear unto me. Like we see in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, this is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy writing to the saints in Thessalonica. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God also, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. That's the same Greek word that is translated beloved here in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Dear unto us, beloved unto us, same point. So as Christians, we want to be mindful. And if you're not a Christian, this is what you, one of the things that you're missing out on. Not just missing out on eternal life, but agape, agape etos, if I pronounce that right, the Greek word that is used there in 1 Peter 2.11. And, and like I said, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, among other uh, verses, is over 60 times in the New Testament. You're missing out on being beloved of God and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Not the way the world loves. Christians love one another far more dearly than the way the world loves. And it is an eternal relationship. All of our physical relationships, all the love that we experience in the flesh that is carnal is going to end whether you go to heaven or hell. It, it is going to end. I mean, even when you think about marriage, you know, when you look at the discussion that Jesus has with the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 and following, one of the points that Jesus makes about what's going to happen in eternity at, at, at the resurrection, the point of the resurrection, is there's no marriage in heaven. Just like the angels do not get married, we aren't going to be married in heaven. But the thing that will continue is that brotherly love. That's important. Being dear unto one another. So just right after he says that, dearly beloved, or you are dear unto me, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. This is, this is the way Christians need to think. I'm loved of God. I'm loved of my brethren. But I'm strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're just passing through. Hebrews chapter 11, think about what is said long before Christians, uh, people, long before God's people were ever thought of, called Christians, long before Christianity, back to the days of Abraham, Hebrews 11, 8 through 16, and here in the physical, when we're talking about being strangers and pilgrims, we're talking about the spiritual. Here it's the physical. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, meaning tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful with promise. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly... 
if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Now, we're not today sojourning the way Abraham did, but these Christians, remember when we looked at the beginning of this epistle, they were driven out. They were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They're scattered saints. They were going through it physically and spiritually. Abraham was going through it physically. We today, in the spiritual sense, we today might abide where we lived. I've lived in El Paso, uh, Texas since 2005. It's the longest time that I've lived anywhere. I've lived in different cities and states, multiple places in Ohio, multiple places in Pennsylvania, lived in Virginia, lived in, in Kansas. I've been here the longer, longest. I don't intend at any time soon, at least within my control, uh, to, to move to some other place. But I'm still a stranger and a pilgrim. And in the sense that I'm just passing through this world to get to the greater one to come. And even if you're going to remain where you are in the physical, if you're one of God's children, you are still a stranger and a pilgrim. So there's a physical sense and a spiritual sense of this. Think back to what we talked about in chapter 1 of this epistle in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he with you has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect to person judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Here isn't just talking about one physical location, but the earth in its entirety. Our citizenship, our conversation is the word that's used in Philippians 3.20, where Paul says in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From hence, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, earlier we read Philippians 3.8-12. If you kept reading, that's what you get to in the context you may live and reside in this physical world. You may have a mailing address, and it may not change the rest of your life. You have that identification, like a driver's license, that may have a physical address on it. Great. Awesome. Good for you. But you still need to live in this world as though you're just passing through, as a sojourner, as a stranger, as a pilgrim. In this sense, like Abraham, seeking what is to come. And you know, when you read through the book of Hebrews, you don't just see that language there in chapter 11 and in Hebrews 13, 14, outside of talking about people of the past, says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. It, all of us, okay, you're, this world, even if you were to find some way uh, to live physically in the flesh for hundreds or thousands of years, even though that's not possible at this point, the world's still temporary. It's going to burn up, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. So no matter who you are or what you are in the physical sense, 
this physical world isn't going to continue. You don't have a permanent home here. But in a spiritual sense, we seek a greater heavenly kingdom. And if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're not a faithful child of God, you need to get on board because this ship called earth is going to sink. And there is that one vessel whereby we're going to be delivered. When we think about what our, our, our Lord had Paul write to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 and verse 23 says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. The body and the church are one and the same thing. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. You need to be able to obey the gospel and be added to the church by our Lord, the language that you see in Acts 2, 37 through 47. Get on board. Contact me and we can talk about it. If you are a Christian, don't jump ship. Keep living as though your, your address is in heaven instead of what your ID and bills say here on earth. Them, even as though they may be moving and going throughout the land being persecuted, maybe having to go from city to city like we see in Acts 8 through Acts 11. Look forward to that permanent residency so that your mindset here on earth is always strangers and pilgrims. With that mindset, that helps you for the next part of the instruction. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. If we live with the understanding, and not and when I use that phrase, with the understanding, there are people that have the knowledge that this world is going to perish, but they don't have the understanding because they live as though they expect tomorrow to come all the time. They're constantly investing in worldly, earthly things. Well, the, the stranger and pilgrim mindset is looking at everything as though it is temporary. Abstaining from fleshly lust is much easier when you're looking at everything as though it is temporary. So think about some language. In Romans chapter 13, verses 13 through 14, it says, Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Like here in 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lust that work against soul. So if I understand that this is temporary, whatever it is that is of the world, it is temporary. It's going to come to an end. Doesn't that change how beautiful it is? If you know it's here today and gone tomorrow, it should, if you understand that. But what this world does is this world tries to convince you that you can grab hold of that fleshly thing and it's going to stay with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and on and on. Think about the language in Ephesians 4.22 where it says, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. The world would have you believe that the temporary pleasures herein are going to continue with you. Now, logic says they never do. Like this, this, this thing, this vacation, this 
house, this car, this job, this physical body, whatever it is, you know, we're around the time of year where, uh, you know, people are going to indulge in food and different types of things. And then right after uh, December 25th, uh, December 26th, 27th, the ads are going to start having treadmills and weightlifting equipment. Gyms are going to have discounted memberships. Why? Because, hey, you ate and you, 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 you ate too much and you expanded your waist. Now it's time to get that beautiful body. And then pretty soon you'll hear that beach body stuff, right? You'll hear, it's time to get ready for the beach. It's like snowing outside. Get ready for the beach. Even here in El Paso, it's going to get cold or may, maybe, right? It's going to get cold. And it, typically we get some cold, but no, that's not the focal point. It's now it's time to get, and it's like, wait a minute. Think about what, what just happened. You just gained some pounds. Now you want to take them off. What did you gain pounds on? Temporary pleasure. What are you going to do when you get that quote unquote beach body back? Temporary pleasure. Till you overeat a little bit. Till you become uh, indulgent in something else. And at some point you got to look in the mirror and you got to say, hey, I need to stop caring about both sides of this. Because I'm just struggling with carnal desires. You get that brand new car. Then you go park in that busy mall parking lot. And what somebody do? They open the car right door right into your brand new car. Now it's dented. It's not new and beautiful anymore, right? Now you're disappointed. You're upset. Instead of looking at that vehicle as a tool, as a tr source of transportation, you looked at it as something that's going to last. Well, it's not. It's not because it's of this world. That vacation... Just can't wait to get away. You know what happens? Then you come back home. Vacation's over. And you're like, look at how quick that was. How many thousands of dollars you spent on temporary pleasure? I'm not saying any of that is sinful. But they're all things that should allow us to understand that if it's of the earth, it's earthly, it's temporary. And it should help us in the combat against carnal desires. Because as a Christian, there's this expectation. Galatians 5, 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Why? Because if you back up in the chapter to verses 16 and 17, this I say then, walk in the spirit, be spiritually minded is the point, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against spirit and the spirit against flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So, I, I want to be spiritually minded, Lord, but I keep introducing all the carnality into my life. And you know what I'm doing? I'm creating an internal war. An internal war. But wait, you think that the war means there's not a victor. Well, as long as you're allowing the carnal desires to enter into you, you're on the losing side of the battle because you're being carnally minded. Think about what, what, what it says in Romans 8, 5 through 8. It says, For they that are of the flesh, after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. They that after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. As long as you're allowing those things into your mind, into your life, into your daily routine, you're 
You're a loser in that battle. You're not going to be able to please God when you're allowing that to happen. It even stands in the way of being able to learn. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says, I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for as there's among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? But Paul's like, I, I want to teach you. But that carnality is preventing you from being able to learn. Folks, you, you got to look at everything in this world as though it is temporary, that whatever pleasure you draw from is going to be temporary, and not allow that to take root in your mind and in your routine and in your pocketbook and in all these other things that affect us. Because once we allow carnality to take root, it's going to destroy the good that we get from God. And it's ultimately going to destroy our souls. So having put to death the fleshly lusts because they're creating that internal war, then having your conduct, your conversation honest among the Gentiles is the next instruction that Peter gave to these saints. And therefore it is for us to consider our behavior needs to be good. It needs to be virtuous. When we think about in the midst of a context, James chapter 3 is talking about the tongue. In that context, James 3.13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Our conduct speaks volumes more than our words. You know, there are people that will profess to be God's people, Right? But their works tell us otherwise. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works to deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. That Greek word that is translated there, reprobate, meanings not standing up to the test, not approved, not, not it's unfit. So you, if you're out there and you're thinking, I've got all the right words, but my actions aren't right. They aren't in line. You're in trouble because your actions are speaking volumes against the confession that's coming out of your mouth. I want you to think about how important our conduct is by looking at an example in 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and the example is a godly woman married to a non-Christian. So think about what's said here as an illustration of the point. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection, subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair, and of the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do it well, and not afraid with any amazement. 
there's some interesting language there. The word amazement there means terror or alarm. Uh, but the point of the context, point of the context is let it let 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 your inward person show through your conduct, and don't put on a show. Don't dress yourself up to be a beautiful woman when you're inwardly not. Let it be your conduct that speaks that volume of that inward godly woman. We all need to do that. We've been purchased. Remember what we learned in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 18 and 19? For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, without the precious, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You've been bought. You've been bought away from that vain conduct. Don't go back to it. Or if you're in it, you need to get out of it. Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross so that we can behave ourselves in a different manner than what this world would have us to do. And when we look at this world, instead of being enticed by it, here's where we come back to that fleshly lust that war against the soul, a good and virtuous conduct means I look at this world and I'm not attracted to it. I'm disgusted by it. And 2 Peter 2, 6 and 7 says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example under those that should live ungodly and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Are you vexed like Lot was? with the filthy conversation of the of the wicked are you does it wear on you does it oppress you well if if you're losing the battle of carnality you're going to turn to this world and be attracted to it rather than vexed by it how do you look at this world you look at it and say i wish i had that or do you look at it and say, I can't get wait to get away from this? Lot was greatly distressed by what he saw. And when you go back and you read what Lot saw in Genesis 19, it's greatly distressing. The men of a city given over to homosexuality sounds a lot like the direction our world is going right now, where people don't know the difference between male and female. Well, they do, but they're wanting to redefine the terms, right? We ought to be disgusted by that. Where they corrupted the rainbow and made it a symbol, a symbol that God put in the sky to show that he would not destroy the world again by flood. These wicked, disgusting children of the devil have, have taken that symbol and they wanted to turn it into one that God is so grossly opposed to. Folks, cool. We ought to be vexed by that. We ought to be vexed by that. We go back and read Genesis 9, and you see that that rainbow in the sky, it's a covenant between God and man. It's not a representation of males and females doing things they ought not to with the same sex, even if they call themselves something else. Be sickened by it, but not just by that. By all the conduct of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life that we see advertised on, on sports and television, that we see in our neighborhoods, that we see 
in our stores where we go to get the products that we need. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, it's not of the Father. 1 John 2.16 says, it's of the world and it's going to pass away. Verse 17, that comes back to why as strangers and pilgrims, we ought to look at the world differently. This world is not my home. There's a song that says that. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I don't remember the rest of the song, but something along that line. We ought to live that way. And, and in addition to that, have you ever heard the phrase where someone says, you gave me a stick to beat you with, or he or she gave them the stick to beat you with? 1 Timothy 5.14, talking about widows, says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. We ought to live above reproach, just like the widows are instructed there. Don't give the world the proverbial stick to beat us with. Make it so that we live in a way that if somebody is going to make charges against us, that they've got to invent them and not actually be able to talk about what we're doing in a way that God would say is wrong. Not the way the world would say is wrong, but that God would say that's wrong. Make them have to lie. You know, in Matthew 5, 11, and we ought to expect this, Jesus says to his disciples, Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. See, the key there is falsely. Don't give them something that they can rightfully say. Make it have to be false. In Luke 6, 22 and 23, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets." Your conduct needs to speak up. Make it so that when they cast out your name as evil, it's something that you don't have to fear because it's false. Make it like those faithful of old suffered and don't give them reason. We're going to see that as we go through our study of 1 Peter. In chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, it says, But if you suffer for righteousness' sake... Happy are ye, be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason, the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Folks, live in a way that you don't have to be concerned about people's charges. There are, uh, are a number of brethren that if someone came to me and said he or she did this, I would not even question whether or not they did it. I know from their faithful conduct over years that they didn't. I also know other people that aren't so strong in the faith that need to step up in this arena and live in a manner where I'd be able to feel the same way about them. 
And don't think I'm not working to help that happen. Good part of this lesson is so that we would all be able to live in a way that if our brethren heard a report about us, they would easily dismiss it and say, I know better. He or she would never do that. The more we're invested in Christ, the more our brethren and even the sinners of the world will get to see that our conduct is way beyond that. You know, I have neighbors that trust me to enter in their home when they're not home that are people of the world. I have people of the world who know I would never do anything that would physically harm them. They trust. You know how they trust? Through my conduct. The world can see that. When you look at the qualifications of elders, one who is going to lead the Lord's body, Scott Hamilton and I are have a podcast that's going to come up uh, in January and, and talking about the eldership. And one of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Those on the outside, external, outside the body of Christ. And you know what? When we look at this lesson that we're talking about right now, that shows us that that's what our Lord expects of all Christians, not just elders. Many of the qualifications of elders are the conduct that God expects of all the saints. If you call yourself a Christian, does your conduct tell the world that you are? Does it leave the world, not just your brethren, but the world knowing that by your good works, anybody that says evil against you it's not true. Then, when you take that to the next step, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God and the day of visitation. Listen, 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 listen. We Christians need to understand that there are those out there that will try to live in a way that they will try to trap you, catch you. It's long happened. It happened to Jesus in Luke 11, 53 and 54. As he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently to provoke him to speak of many things, lying wait for him, seeking to catch something about his mouth that they might accuse him. They did it to Jesus. Psalmist said in Psalm 37, 32, the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Oh, you think the world will be fair to you? No. If the world examines you, they're not going to do so honestly. Psalm 56, 5 and 6, Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. You've got to live in a way that the world who is watching to trip you up can't make a solid charge. And that when our Lord returns, your conduct still stands out. But the day of visitation here, as we go through 1 Peter, is more so talking about being brought before men instead of the Lord. 
being judged and examined by men. And there would be those, and in fact, when, when we get into verses 13 through 16, it's going to talk about submitting ourselves to ordinance of men, to governors, etc. We'll talk about that here momentarily when we come to the conclusion of our lesson. The day of visitation is being brought before men. So to some degree, we need to care about how the world looks at us. Luke 16, 15, he said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So I say, to a degree, we don't want to live in a way that we're justifying ourselves by, before, before men, because what man says is good isn't. But in our context, the point is, living in such a manner that they can't accuse us of evil. Again, not evil according to the world's definition, but evil according to God. When people look at our conduct, Romans 12, 17 says, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. The world is watching. What are they seeing? Again, like everything we've talked about being brought into the context of, of this lesson. People are going to look at us, they're going to make false charges, they dig as Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, etc. But providing things honest, meaning virtuously, the way God defines it, good, fair, honest, excellent, different words that are synonyms there. Make it so that they can't make any charge against you that would hold up in an honest examination of your character in light of God's will. Think about the world in this light. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do all things without murmurings, disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Blameless and harmless, where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So putting on your conduct, understanding whom is watching. Crooked people, that's warped, perverse, untoward people. A perverse generation, a corrupt nation. A corrupt time. Live above reproach. I love it, right? Arm ourselves to look at everything as temporary. Abstain from things that create the battle from within. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be different from you than it is from me and from the next person to the next person. You have to determine for you the things that are most tempting. And don't introduce into your life things that give the possible victory to the flesh over the spirit. Live in a virtuous way among those that are outside the body. Here, here it says among the Gentiles. So it's, you know, I love this. Peter says, now that you're part of us, right? Now that you're part of God's kingdom, live so that those outside the kingdom see you in a right way. This plays into our study for next week. Verses 13 through 16 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, 
as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of malicious, but as the servants of God. So verses 11 and 12, going right into that. Your visitation, the examination of men, you need to live your, your, your conduct in a way that will put their ignorance to silence. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our study for today. Hope it has been beneficial to you. There's a lot to consider. Beautiful, wonderful points. I love it. Good stuff. If you allow it to take root and bear fruit in your life, what was written to these converts in the first century who were facing all sorts of persecution, whether you are or not in this world, still live as a way that you belong to Christ instead of this evil world. Thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, the goal for Tuesday's podcast is going to be to talk about uh, Sabbath day keepers. I hope you'll tune in and listen to that. Until then, I thank you for listening. Take care.